What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about Megan! And also award... (laughs) I can't even get it out. And also other award-winning feature films. A little later in this show, Amanda and I will break down Blumhouse's smash killer doll horror hit. But first, we are recording as Oscar voting commences. Today is the first day of Oscar voting in 2023. The Golden Globes took place on Tuesday night. And we've got this trundle of Guild nominations to sort through as we analyze the Oscar race even further. Yesterday, we got the Screen Actors Guild nominations. We also got the Directors Guild of America nominations. And just as we've begun recording, we got the Producers Guild nominations, which we are going to talk about right now. Yes. And I haven't looked yet. It's I, I looked. I told you not to look, and then I kind of didn't understand the timing that we were doing, and I read them in my email, but that's okay. You screwed me over. No, because no one cares about my reaction. My reaction is like, huh, and yours (laughs) is going to be very intense. But before, have you looked? I have not looked yet. Okay, before you look, I think that we should just say you are a member of the Producers Guild. I am. And you did vote. I did. And do you want to share with the world how you voted? Sure. I voted uh, using the list of 300 feature films sure. that I watched Normal. in 2022 that I compile every year. And um, so my top 10 of the year, which I shared on Twitter on New Year's Eve, as I always do. Right. Um, <laughs> There's a great story behind that one that, that we can share another time. <laughs> that is 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 what my voting was. Right. So, so split infinitives straight to the PGAs. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, what a journey for me. And did you consider changing your top 10 at all for PGA or you just you voted from the heart I voted from my soul okay and here was my top 10 for 2022 number 10 decision to leave number nine the Banshees of Inisherin. number eight Barbarian mm-hmm. 
I don't believe Barbarian will I'm be nominated. I'm going to tell you right now, today. Barbarian did Okay. It. Number seven, The Fablemans. Number six, Armageddon Time. Number five, Babylon. Number four, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Number three, Top Gun Maverick. Number two, Tar. And number one, Jordan Peele's Nope. So that was my list. Okay. I counted how many you got. Well, tell before I look, how many did I get? Four. Okay, that's pretty good. All right. That's like, I, you feel okay I'm about quasi that. populist, quasi hipster, quasi weirdo. What do you think you got? I believe I got Tar. Yes. Top Gun Maverick. Thank God, yes. The Fablemans. Yes. And the Banshees of Inisherin. Correct. So that means Babylon was not nominated. Fuck! <laughs> God did, damn it. Did you think it was going to happen I in don't Producer? Know. You think producers look at Babylon as a success? Yeah, it looks like a tough movie to make, man. Sure. You and, know what producers it, do? Right. They help make this stuff happen. Right. And But then they also want to make money. That, that's a factor. Historically, the PGA awards do celebrate movies that are successful mm-hmm. in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I, to a lesser extent, but mm-hmm. we do both believe that Babylon is artistically successful. I, yes, I certainly do. Right. But I think that's the only way that it can be considered successful right now. It has not made a lot of money at the box office. Let's put it that way. Should I try to guess the other six nominees? Yeah. Okay. This is fun. This is great podcasting. See, uh, you wanted to keep it fresh. We're keeping it fresh. Okay. Everything ever all at once. Correct. Avatar The Way of Water. Correct. Uh, Your favorite movie of the year that we had a lovely conversation about afterwards because you are always excited to see me at the movies and you take time after the screening to say hello, Amanda. Take it to paradise? No. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis. Oh, Elvis. Okay. Of course, Elvis. <laughs> sure. Uh, I want to say there's going to be one like Populist movie on the fringe, it, like Glass Onion. Yes, correct. Um, women talking. No, there's one that I really don't think you're going to get. I'm surprised to see it. And then there's Ooh, one, intriguing. And then there's one that I think makes sense, even though you and I did not feel that this was ultimately a successful movie, and it's big ticket. Wow. What an what a, uh, is, is it? Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Correct. Oh wow, that's yes. very interesting. Yes. Correct. Oh my goodness. This is why. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Okay. So you have. What about the menu? Did that make it? No, it didn't. Okay. You're getting closer. I thought there was though. a chance that that yeah. was going to make it. I'm getting closer mm-hmm. with the menu. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's an obvious one that I'm just not thinking No, it's of. not obvious. Uh, and you hated this movie. Oh, oh my. Yeah. I hated it. Yes. Not the sun. No, but close. Also, we Free have. Guy no, this year, right? <laughs> Free guy not eligible. Free guy not eligible. We have the correct title structure also. The. I don't know. What is it? Whale. Really? Yes. Although, to your point, yeah. a film that is having some success at the Correct. box office. Yes. Huh. Oh, what a weird... All right. So, let's just read the list for okay. the listeners who are not playing along this game with us. So, from the top, the Daryl F. Zanuck Award for Outstanding Producer of Theatrical Motion Pictures. The nominees are Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, and The Whale. Now, this is for the Producers Guild of America Awards. Of course, for anybody who's listening and is confused right now, there are a number of guild awards. These are not critics awards. These are people who are inside the industry who vote very specifically on uh, these awards from the point of view of their role in the business. Producers are a big body, not as influential to the specific individual races, but they do they're very influential in the best picture race. Mm-hmm. And they often match. I didn't do any math ahead of time. I don't remember. We have talked about this in, in previous episodes about how closely they do tend to match on best picture nominees and 10 being the year. There will be 10 guaranteed this year. 
I definitely don't have the whale or glass onion in my in my race right now in my top ten. Nor do I. So that and and nor Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So that's fascinating. Sure, but with the exception of Tar, which I think we collectively and you specifically have been underrating mm-hmm. in the Best Picture race. I'm mm-hmm. just gonna I'm gonna say that now on January twelfth, twenty twenty three. But with the exception of Tar, these are movies that have been seen a lot. This is the this is like these are the box office get people to theaters, even Glass Onion, which was only in theaters for a week. And just a lot of people have seen these movies. Yeah. But like the whale over the the woman king, that's kind of funky. Well, I mean, I I agree. The woman king. It's a big blow for the woman king. I I think that's kind of the end of the woman king's run. It was also not uh, nominated at the SAG Awards in Ensemble, which I thought would have been a great opportunity. So that's tough. I really liked the woman king. As I think about this, I may have actually, I don't think I did to vote for Decision to Leave because it's just uh, American features. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what the other, I must have been everything everywhere all at once or or maybe uh, Pearl, like whatever was near the top on my list. Okay. Um, Pearl did also not nominated here, unfortunately. Right. Uh, Where is Mia Goth? When will she be recognized for her greatness? This is an uh, odd list. So you want to do SAG and DGAs? Yeah, let's break those down. Um, So SAG, a couple of notable things before we get into all this. The SAG Awards this year, which are airing in a month, are airing on Netflix's YouTube channel. Netflix has acquired the rights to the SAG Awards, which for many years had aired on TNT, and had been open and out in the wild and available to purchase for a long, long time. And next year, we'll see the show telecast on Netflix's airwaves. It's streaming airwaves. But this year, they don't, they aren't able to get it going yeah, they in don't time. have the mechanism, so they're just doing YouTube. So it's on YouTube. Um, that's maybe a longer, bigger conversation down the road, but Netflix hosting award shows is a fascinating conflict of interest and right. in ways that, are, that feel different somehow from Comcast hosting or Warner agree. Brothers hosting a, a, an award show. The, the, idea of church and state from a streamer, especially a streamer as dominant and disruptive as Netflix, raises a lot of questions. Not that I'm, I distrust their ability to operate fairly, but we'll know pretty quickly Correct. if they're operating fairly based on the nominations next year. Maybe also they're just giving up on awards. It's possible. I doubt that they are. I don't think they're going to give up on awards. They may not make the same push. The SAG Awards historically have been very generous to Netflix. So that's something worth keeping in mind. And, and we'll talk about that here with these nominations. There are a few nominations that are a bit odd and unexpected, in part because Netflix often does well at this show. I think in part because Netflix does well by actors and employs a lot of actors. Right. So anyway, um, let's go through the nominations. Okay. Motion Picture Cast. That's Ensemble. This is the big award here. The nominees are Babylon, Banshees, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, and Women Talking. Were you surprised by this? Babylon, I was, even though it has a mega cast, including Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt and Diego Calva. And I think a lot of people who are liked by other actors and also very starry. And there is always a little bit of this thing with the SAG Awards, which is like people are nominated people they like, but also people that they want to be. You know, there's Mm. a little aspiration in all of them. So... Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt are two of the most successful movie stars, even though Margot Robbie's last two uh, movies about, you know, old-timey Hollywood have tanked. Barbie coming. It's all good. Yeah, it's fine. I I support Margot Robbie. Uh, Women Talking is not surprising because it is, like, the definition of an ensemble film, but I think if it hadn't been nominated here, 
That would have been it. It, it would have been it. So yeah. this is like, it's just barely hanging on. I think what, I believe what's most notable about that Women Talking nomination is that there were no individual nominations right. for the cast amongst SAG. Not a good sign. No. There was an expectation, particularly that either Jesse Buckley or Claire Foy were competing for Best Supporting Actress, and they're not nominated here. So that's not great. Um, what a, I guess, to me, for Babylon, it means Babylon's not dead yet even though it didn't get the PGA yeah. nomination and it didn't get a DGA nomination, which we'll get into shortly. It's not dead yet. It's not dead yet. I, I do still think that it could be like the surprise 10th Right, you, you, you yes. compared it to Nightmare Alley recently, which yes. I thought was wise. Like, that feels very, very plausible. Um, other notable takeaways. We don't have to run through every single category, but what jumped out to you from these nominations? So the female actor in a leading role one is very strange. Seems like actors really like Blonde, or at least Anna Darmus's performance Colin in Blonde. Farrell Colin really Farrell really likes Blonde. Not a joke. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, not a joke. Not a joke. No, oh, I know that was what he said. I was oh, quoting him. Remember, because yes. people like started laughing nervously when he was like, "I sobbed myself to sleep at your performance," and then described like the exact shot. Love Colin Farrell. Well, because he delivers everything that he says as if it's like um off the Blarney Stone. You yeah. know, like it was engraved into the Blarney. He's like. I sobbed myself to sleep. Like, he's so, like, <laughs> delighted by these terrible, painful, traumatic ideas. I got some good feedback on your voice work as Elvis. Oh, thanks. I, I think we might need to work on the Colin Farrell voice work for the The Irish thing is weeks. hard because I have actual Irish relatives right, yeah. and I've been very proximate to the Irish accent, but it's very easy to fuck up. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I've never been very good at it's, it. It's not quite there. Anyway, Anand Armas is also nominated for a SAG award. Um... I thought Ana de Armas was very good in one of the most excruciatingly bad movies that I've seen in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the other actors want to nominate what she had to go through to achieve this, that's fine with me. I am in a long text exchange yeah. right now with a friend of this show okay. who I will not identify. All right. Who has appeared on this show. Who loves Blonde. Do I do I know this person? You have recorded a podcast with this person. I will not reveal the person's name. Okay. And this person is head over heels for blonde. Well, so are you going to reveal this person to me after the it's podcast? Bill or Simmons. You, or no. you pro- <laughs> or are you protecting this person's identity from me? I think it's reason. I mean, if this person wants to come on and sing its praises, they are invited to come yeah, on. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> you a, won't be appearing. No, no, no. I was just going to say you're coming into the Thunderdome. You think things have been tough for me before now? <laughs> just wait. Uh, yes, I I did note that I am not a fan of the movie, and yeah. nor, nor were you. Yeah. Um, I Anna de Armas. Could, 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 could get in. It's the, the, the issue is really Michelle Williams being rejected by SAG. Right. After making a decision that we and virtually every other pundit in America were left scratching our heads about, which was why did you run in Best Actress when you almost certainly would have won Best Supporting Actress and now may not even be nominated for Best Actress for her work in The Fablemans. The confusing thing here is that Paul Dano was nominated for Supporting Actor for The Fablemans? Weaker field in my opinion. Sure. But respectfully, and it's a little bit the part itself and the film, and also perhaps my interpretation. I, I prefer his performance. To to hers? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, I guess that's It's like a different a, kind it's of a part? different performance, and it's, it's not the fun part. It's not the showy part. That's true. But, you know, even within The Fablemans, you have Judd Hirsch, who is, just gives kind of like a quintessential, extremely memorable... Very showy. ...supporting performance. 
So I think Paul Dano and no one else from the Fablemans, except for, you know, and then the Fablemans was also an ensemble, which we should say Alec is like looking better for the Fablemans. Absolutely. Um, I I was a little, I thought that was weird. That's all. I wasn't expecting it. I, it is, it's a, supporting actor is not a category we've talked about very much thus far. I it, it feels like Kiwi Kwan has it locked up and that's maybe part of the reason why yeah. we haven't spent a lot of time on it, especially because it seems like Barry Keown and Brendan Gleeson will split each other's votes. Paul Dano, I you know, I, if Michelle Williams is the sale of the movie, he's the anchor, and they need each other for the film to operate, you know? I agree with you. And I think it's notable that the movie effectively ends with him and not with her. Yeah. And ultimately, is he more engineer or is he more artist? And that uh, that that swaying question that operates throughout the film. Um, I think, frankly, like a lot of people left that movie, I say this with no dis- disrespect whatsoever, but left that movie maybe not really liking Michelle Williams' character. You yeah, know? and that often can influence how we vote on someone. It doesn't mean she's a bad person. It doesn't mean his memory of hers is a, as as a, a bad person. But she's eccentric, mm-hmm. and there's something purposefully off putting about the construction, and that might be contributing to this as well. Don't know for sure. Like Paul Dino gets to have a quiet, noble moment at yeah. the end of the movie, and she doesn't really get to have that. You know, she strikes him in the film. She cheats on her husband in the film. She does things that so, but she also is like the artistic you know, soul and inspiration and it sees something in him that no one else does. It's and true. also, I've been thinking a lot about the moment, I believe, uh, Paul Dano and the the young Spielberg character are having a fight and then she walks into the room and just like stands up on the piano bench and goes, I started therapy! <laughs> with her arms up in the air and I, that's one of the funniest things I've seen. It was That's really good. Yeah. That's a good movie. I don't, I'm, not yeah. really, I'm not really bent out of shape about it, have, okay. making a little bit of a comeback. Um, a couple things that we noticed here, no Top Gun, Maverick. Yeah. And no Avatar The Way of Water. They're lost. Now, obviously, these are the box office titans of the year. They are on the PGA list. Yeah. I think, I, I feel very, quite strongly that they'll both be nominated. I do, and, and, and as well. I, I think the show needs them. Yeah. Um, it does, it's starting to feel a bit like they may not win anything other than Below the Line. That is the Academy's choice. Okay. And I don't agree with it, but okay. that's that's what you're going to do. You know, genius is not recognized in its own time. <laughs> that's what the, yes, that's, <laughs> that's why we pray that one day someone will look back at these episodes that we've recorded and listen closely to them as we talk through lists of actors' names. Um, gosh. Any other, any anything else what? notable? I mean, Eddie Redmayne? What's going on there? I don't know. I, that's another thing where I guess like other actors like Eddie Redmayne. I don't, I they don't do. really know. They do really they like, like him. him. He seems like a nice gentleman. You know what my take on uh, the good, news, good nurse was? Yes, because you shared it on this podcast. Yeah, but sure again. <laughs> it's not good. I wanted to know what happened. <laughs> Just read the Wikipedia about the real life story that it's based on. I didn't want to. Remember when Sam Esmail came in here? And he, by the yeah. way, Sam is not the person I was referring to. Okay. I didn't, no, I didn't think it was Sam. Uh, I, I trusted Sam. Remember when Sam came in here and he was like, the good nurse was good and you guys are mean? What the hell yeah, was that? I said that I wanted to know what happened. God, you guys are so He weak. also. Step it up. Uh, whatever. Um, Adam Sandler was nominated for Hustle? Hell yeah, he was. <laughs> You're goddamn right he was. Sandman. SAG Awards. This is this is great. Have Adam Sandler at your awards show. Why not? I agree. I, I don't think he's getting into Best Actor, but uh, it had me thinking about a couple of things. One, I watched the Actors Roundtable after many people told us to that The Hollywood Reporter does mm-hmm. every year. Scott Feinberg moderated this year. It was a great collection of voices among them. Colin Farrell, Kiwi Kwan, 
Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler was participating. He was he's yeah, on the trail absolutely. again. And I get the impression he kind of digs doing this stuff. Most people look at this stuff with such contempt. If you talk to actors privately, this is yeah. a pain in the ass. This is yeah. a lot of work, especially if you have done it many times before. It seems exhausting. Sandman is just chilling. He's showing up in like a parka and a hoodie it, and he seems delighted. It does seem like he has a unique ability to pick and choose and yep. he does only what he wants to do out of this these shenanigans and he doesn't like really have to campaign or work for it. He's right. just like, sure, I'll go to the Gotham Awards and read a funny speech. Like that seems fun. I'm saying this right now to the SAG Awards. Okay. If you can't get Adam Sandler to do the I am Adam Sandler and I am an actor intro, like, what the fuck are you even doing? Go home. You don't deserve your Netflix contract, okay? Be bold. Did you see the film Hustle? I did. I watched it with uh, my parents. Oh, good. How did my it dad go? and Angela. I loved it. It was good. Are you kidding? Yeah, it was good. Um, I I had to explain to my dad who Freeway was halfway through the um, well, because I wanted to explain the significance. Pride of Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah of uh, to Zach. You know, Zach wasn't there. Um, also, like we were listening to it at like three times the volume that it needed to be. So as my son slept upstairs. You so were listening just, to his debut album, Philadelphia Freeway? <laughs> listening to the film Hustle. But oh, okay. then suddenly like Freeway was like echoing through the house. And I was like, I'm going to need you to turn that down. And also let me give you some cultural context Amazing. on the import of this to the, the Philadelphia and the 76ers. I need to know if your mom knows who Petey Crack is. <laughs> okay, that's too bad. Uh, all right, let's keep talking. So the, the, the thing that the Sandler nomination struck in my mind yeah. is if Tom Cruise is in fact vulnerable and he was not present at the Golden Globes and he is not nominated here and so we had been assuming that he would be nominated for Best Actor that's no given I kind of I wasn't assuming that were you assuming that? I was I was I was, I was. not I thought I Top Gun was very be, strong but I think that there is still some weirdness around him there could be and if there is, and also the Academy has changed a lot since yeah. the Jerry Maguire days. I was listening to the Sideways Rewatchables. Okay, yes, on the, I was on um, that podcast. Sure. And it, first of all, there was just like a long tangent about the 2004 Oscars and Million Dollar Baby, and I was remembering our draft. And when I took Million Dollar Baby from Chris at the last, that was really fun. Do you remember this? Yeah, and people had pointed out to me yeah. on Twitter that we negged Sideways, which I don't remember. Um, I have only seen Sideways once and I like fell asleep, but I really love the Santa Barbara wine country area. So, yes. and I'm enjoying your rewatchables. You have anyway, also joined me in that area in the past. You noted that Tom Cruise was uh, passed over for collateral this yeah. year, yeah. which he's really good in. And that's Amazing. Michael Mann. So th they've, the other actors have- Yo, Holmes, is that my briefcase? Yeah. He's only been nominated twice, I want to say. Uh, Born on the 4th of July, Jerry Maguire- and Magnolia. Okay, three times, yeah. Maybe four. There might be a fourth in there. But not... Not a lot. Not a lot. Not, so not an overwhelming I have number. Not, and that was even before the couch and the troubles. So, you know, I haven't... I don't think he's a lock. Um, Okay, if he's not a lock, the person who I think is could get in is Paul Mescal. Okay. And... You, I could see it. There's there, there are always a few surprises. I... I think we have to remember that the Academy in the last five years has had a bunch of surprises in categories that we're not necessarily expecting. And we're about to talk about the DGAs. And I think we're, we should plan for a surprise there as well because one always comes. But the low hum of support for After Sun continues mm -hmm. apace. I think that's a film that has a chance to rise in this interregnum now. Now we have two months of full stop campaigning as the vote is taking place. Critical support is huge for that film. There are also a lot of passionate people in the industry, Barry Jenkins, foremost among them, he helped uh, produce the film. 
a lot of people love it. A yeah. lot of people really like Paul Mescal. He's also now just been cast. I was going to say. In two <clears throat> huge projects. My guy is the is Gladiator 2. Yep. He's the second Gladiator, I assume. I don't know. Have they shared details of his, like. His, I think the character's name is Gladiator 2. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm reading this right. And he's in the Richard Linklater Merrily We Roll Along. Yes. Like he's replacing year Blake project. Jenner. Blake Jenner? Is that the guy's name? I think so. Okay. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, but I'm happy for Paul Mescal. So. Uh, I want anybody that I think is cool, Paul among them, to work with Richard Linklater. I so I'm on board with that. With that. Um, everything else isn't Ben Platt also in that movie. No shots to Ben Platt, but I'm still not um over Dear Evan Hansen. I, I have not recovered. I maybe never will. I couldn't say. Also, Paul Mescal uh, appearing in the forthcoming uh, Benjamin Millipier adaptation of, of Carmen. Carmen, right? With Elsa Pataki. What's going on with that? Elsa movie? Pataki. Yeah, I believe is she uh, married to Chris, Chris Hemsworth? Hemsworth? Yes, yeah. and she just she. Uh, goes around Bondi Beach without shoes on. I believe the titular Carmen is played by Melissa Barrera, though, from okay. In the Heights and Scream. Oh, great. I'm a fan of hers. Okay. Uh, okay. Why are we talking about this? Paul Mescal. <laughs> he might be nominated. We'll see. Okay. Uh, I didn't really have a ton more takeaways. I mean, Hong Chao being nominated for The Whale, I guess, is notable. No Dolly De Leon, no women women talking actors there. And then Daniel Deadweiler, who I, I think has a strong chance to be nominated I agree. At, the, at the Oscars and who gives a great performance yes. in that movie. Um, okay, let's talk DGAs. So the DGAs, we'll just focus on the film stuff. There's two categories that I think are relevant here. One, of course, is feature film, and the other is first-time director. So the feature film nominees for director are Todd Field for Tar, Joseph Kosinski for Top Gun, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. I've never been able to have every single nominee in this category on the show in one year. And this is the year I've gotten closest. Okay. I was fortunate to have Todd Field, Joseph Kosinski, Martin McDonough, and the Daniels all on. All four, I thought, were good conversations. All four movies I like a lot. You Steven know what? Spielberg, two more months. He stood me up. He stood you up? No, I mean, he didn't actually agree. Okay, well, <laughs> two months left. He's got some companions to do. And I, I, have, I, have, I have interacted with Steven Spielberg in the past for stories that I've written. Never had him on this show. Okay. It's just, I dare to dream. You're, you're children of divorce. Yeah, that's right. You we know? have so much to bond over. Exactly. My mom was a kook. You know, it, it happens. I mean, he, the, the door is open. I would love for Steven Spielberg to be on the big. I picture. would like that, I'm, too. and I'm not. Would above you be nervous prostrating myself before thee to say so? Would yeah. I be nervous? I would. Yeah, I would. His his films mean a lot to me. Of course, me too. Um, what do you make of this fivesome? So Banshees, Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once are our like clear front runners. Yes. It feels like everything is solidifying a bit for me. Completely agree. I think that, as I said before. We need to respect Tar, not only because it's like um you know the second greatest film of the year, really mm -hmm. tied with Top Gun Maverick in my opinion. I mean that that it's so good, and everyone who sees it is like, holy shit, Tar, you know. And I watched it again because my wife watched it for the first time yeah. over the weekend, and I started getting the tingling like, is this actually a five star movie feeling? I think it is. It's pretty close. I think it like I think it really is. Did Eileen like it? She did. Yeah. She did good. like it quite a bit. I think she liked the first half more than the second half. And I said I had a very similar experience the first time I watched it. Right. It's a lot to ask my wife to watch a two hour and 45 that minute movie true. a second time. That is true. And she stayed awake? She, she, it took two nights, but she okay. powered through. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I think you should consider watching it again. Yeah. So maybe I'll watch it a fourth time. I just think it's pretty close to Masterpiece. It's really good. And everyone who sees it seems to agree or is at least really excited about it. Do you think this is the one where when it doesn't win when we're doing a rewatchable is about yes, Kate Blanchett movie we're like yeah. how in the fuck did that of not course. win? Yes, yeah. it is. Um, 
but occasionally those break through. Mm-hmm. And I like this year is so different from 2019 in like a million different ways, but there's just like a little parasite element to this of like Intriguing. it's been going for a while. The momentum's building, like people are seeing it, a lot people of memes. are excited, lots of memes. It has like the cultural awareness. And like, everyone really is excited about it. We also, I'm not emotionally or mathematically prepared at this moment to start with the preferential ballot mm-hmm. um, game theory, but it's got to be number two See, on like everyone's. That's why, that's what I think is in the Fableman's uh, favor is the fact that it's not going to be really low for many people. That's true, but I I think Tar is one or two for like almost everyone. And it could be two for a lot of people. Well, that would be so interesting if it were. Well, won. I'm just saying. I'm just, I, I'm noting. January 12th, my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, dad. You haven't watched Tar yet. Oh. Please watch oh, Tar. Oh, I think he would really he would admire it. love it. it. Oh, I keep yeah. being like, what are you doing? Anyway. Can I do a little emotional disclosure here? Yeah. Um, before we started recording, I was like thinking about the future and I was like, mm-hmm. how much longer can we do this pod? Right. Like, how much longer can we talk about the awards race? It, like, yeah. are we just, are we just repeating ourselves? Blah, blah, blah. You know, typical like existential dread of a 40 year old white man living in America. Um, and, and then you just said Tar might win best picture. And yeah, I was like, I'm, like, I'm back. back. <laughs> I'm back. Well, see, that's the thing. And that was a feeling I had in theaters. I was like, holy shit. I like, I'm watching it. I can't believe this is happening. Yes. That is its power. Yes. That's and Pacino I, and, I, and Godfather and 3. I yes. I do think that that is percolating in the awards. It's not like a, a lot of bullshit always happens in awards season. Yep. And you never know, but I, it's just, it's here. It's consistently on every list, whether it's Todd Field at the DGAs, it's on the PGAs. Kate Blanchett obviously will win the SAG award. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it, keep your eye on it. Out of all of these five films that are nominated here mm-hmm. for best you know, feature film director. Yeah. If any of them won Best Picture, I would be, I would be happy about that. I haven't been, I, I couldn't say that in the past. I know, not, I know you're not a big Everything I've Ever Loved Once fan, but for me, like, I, are all these movies on my top 10? They are top 15 at least. Like, they're, yeah, this is, all of them are like interesting and worthy in their own way. Okay. Uh, here's the data point that I wanted to share. Yeah. So in the past 10 years, mm-hmm. the Directors Guild has matched Best Director at the Oscars in four out of five slots exactly. Mm-hmm. Every single year. Yeah. So there's always one that's wrong. And in- this is the the Bradley Cooper honorary. Oh, he got shot out of DGAs too, right? He was shot out of DGAs. Um Who was- I believe Ben Affleck. Oh, right. Okay. For Argo. Yes. Was not what won right. the DGA award in 2012 and, and was not, not even nom- nominated. Right. Now right. that's actually 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So 11 years ago, I think only two of the nominees matched, which was very unusual. But in all subsequent years, it's been four out of five or maybe three out of five one year. But I think for the most part, it's been four out of five. Anyhow, what's been happening recently is as the Academy has shifted somewhat, we've seen, we saw in 2020, that Thomas Vinterberg was nominated for another round, even though another round was not nominated for Best Picture. And then we saw last year that Raisuka Hamaguchi was nominated for Best Director F, and his film Drive My Car was nominated for Best Picture as well. So this year, if we believe that they'll match at four out of five, which seems plausible given that, that, you know, these are only American filmmakers here. Here are the candidates that I see. Okay. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Australian. Mm-hmm. S.S. Rajmoli. India. I like this one. Park Chan-wook, South Korea. Ruben Ostland, Sweden for Triangle of Sadness. 
Lucas Dont for Belgium for close, or Sarah Polly, who is on the outskirts and is, of course, a Canadian. Right. Is it also possible that it's Ron Howard for 13 lives? You know what I mean? Like, is there like <laughs> sure. a weird another American who could come in here at some point? What do you, who do you who do you think it is and who do you think is getting bumped? Well, you highlighted something because the DGAs also give first time director uh, a first time director award. And those nominees are Alice Diop for St. Omer, which is Francis Simichon, Audrey Dewan for Happening, John Patton Ford for Emily the Criminal. Really just having a moment. Really? It's a cool nomination. Did not see that coming. Antonetta Almat Kustinovich for Marina. Good good film. It's on Showtime if people haven't checked that out yet. And the one you highlighted, Charlotte Wells for After Sun. And you noted here, I feel like there's an After Sun Best Picture nomination possibility. But they've done weirder things than, than put someone like Charlotte Wells first time in, in, in DGAs. As the, you know, and she is a woman, and I think everyone is a little conscious of, of, of how male this this current this is lineup a very is very male and middle aged group. Yeah, barring so, the Daniels. So you could even see that. It's possible. It's possible. There's a lot of it's admiration for what she pulled yeah. off with a fairly small budget and a very personal story. It's a very well directed movie. I I don't know. After Sun's kind of rattling around in my mind. Yeah. Um, not the film. It's awards chances, which is pathetic. But hey, that's that's me. <laughs> Um, do you feel increasingly like a sociopath that you didn't respond to it? I do. Uh, I think I shared this, but when I saw, I saw it, you know, with a friend of mine uh, at Telluride and she just like really didn't like it and was yeah. just like loudly decrying it when the film ended. Um, and that I'm sure that influenced me somewhat. I think it, I was unmoored by the entire enterprise because I suspected in, from the first frame where the story was headed mm-hmm. and spent the entire time thinking, is this what's really going on? And I, I needed to turn off my bl- plot brain. Right. And needed to let the story, like the the feeling envelop me a little bit more than I was willing to. That sometimes happens at film festivals too. When you're on your fourth movie of the day. Sure. You know, it's a little harder to like be overtaken. So I, I've only seen it one time. Maybe okay. I'll watch it again. Maybe I will as well. Um. All right. Well, I'm, we'll do a power rankings, you know, down the road here. We don't need to regurgitate all that over again. But this is a, a pretty, this is a big week. And the reason why we're talking about this stuff so much again is because so much is going on in this space after very little. And I think it will go quiet, actually, for a few weeks here. But the PGAs are weird. The whale? I don't know. Are you the sure whale? you didn't put that in at number 10 by accident? No, I'm you quite were, certain. Did I did you not have accidentally to, did you vote have to for the submit whale. the PGA, like, vote at the same time that you posted your your list because that was no. a real down to the wire I had wire to send situation. my PGA vote directly to Joe Biden okay. um, and, and he was there with a notary and he stamped it and um, does Barack Obama vote for the PGAs? I'll, I'll, I would assume he has a ballot okay given that Higher Ground has produced right quite a few films and television shows um, he's just out here seeing everything I, you want to talk about that one more time like did he see any of those movies? so I Malia works in the film industry, okay. right? And yeah. so my theory is still that this is like he's he's bonding with his daughter by oh, okay. That's... Like she's passing him stuff and it's like, I want you to watch this, I want you to see this, I want you to talk about this. In the same way when he makes his music list, he talks about how Sasha, his younger daughter, is like the music curator for the family. Okay. So I think I do actually think he's watching them, but I think he has some help from one of his cool daughters. God, I hope my cool daughter like, puts me on yeah. the stuff. That sounds awesome. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right. Speaking of daughters. Yeah, what a segue. Shall we Shall we talk about Megan? Let's do it. I can't We waited so long. I, I got to say, in October when I saw the trailer for this movie, yeah. I was like, we're going to do one hell of an episode about this feature <laughs> film. And Amanda's definitely going to go see it and it's going to work out great. And, and it did. It did. You saw it. In fact, you saw it before I did. I did. And um, Couldn't keep me away. If you're not familiar with the movie, Megan, let's just talk about the the plot, the, the, okay. the silhouette of this, yeah. this doll. Um, so the story is this. After the shocking death of her parents, 10-year-old Katie is sent to live with Gemma, her mother's sister, a toy designer, with a distinct lack of motherly instinct. As Gemma works to develop a revolutionary new toy, she uses Katie and her emotional trauma to set up her new invention, which is Megan. The eponymous, artificially intelligent doll develops self-awareness and becomes hostile to anyone who comes between her and her human companion. And then, of course, this movie goes off the rails. Now, I don't think of you as a person who loves a killer doll movie. So, before you saw it... Mm -hmm. Were you like, I'm doing this because Sean's asking me to and I'm mad? No, I wasn't mad because when you saw the trailer, I believe that you tweeted, I'm making Dobbins watch this. Did I? Yeah, you did. And so then I watched the trailer and I genuinely laughed out loud at the scene where Megan starts dancing in the hallway. I thought that was incredibly funny. And so I was like, sure, I'll go see it. And then I became aware of the memes and and the references and... I could also just tell that it wasn't going to, like, upset me. Mm-hmm. So I was looking forward to it. I was not mad when I went. It is kind of a horror movie, but not, not really. really. And, and that's where I want to have a lot of our discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is a film that can be spoiled, per se. It's pretty well understood now that <laughs> Megan, this robot doll, kills people uh, in an effort to protect what she perceives as her family. Mm-hmm. Um the first thing I thought of when I saw the trailer and then even more so after I saw the film was this is not necessarily like a series of like child's play necessarily. Okay. 
it reminded me a lot of The Good Son. Yeah. Which is a 1993 movie. Iconic. For you know, kids of our generation is a huge deal. And I feel like it's a little lost of time. And it just so happens that this film is celebrating its 30th anniversary. It's beautiful. And I'm just going to give you some data points on the film The Good Son, which were frankly I, news to me. Sure. So, as I said, this movie came out in 1993. Yeah. It was written by Ian McEwan. Yeah, loves an evil child. Or a That's child a with questionable point. morals. Yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah. But never like this. I mean, he doesn't do genre fare in this fashion. This is the author of Atonement. Right. Well, speaking of evil children. What? Well, not evil. Well, I... Mm, mm, questionable mm, morals. Questions. That's why it's one of the great novels. That's right. Uh, directed by Joseph Rubin, who is a thriller filmmaker who had made The Stepfather and was coming off of the mega success of Sleeping with the Enemy. This is the first film he made after Sleeping with the Enemy, which made like $200 million with the with the rising Julia Roberts. The 90s were so awesome. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> because we like, were very lucky. Sleeping with the Enemy and The Good Son are just burned in my brain. Just picture me rocking the fuck out to Nirvana's Nevermind after <laughs> watching The Good Son in theaters. Um, and this movie starred Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. This is the first movie he made after the trilogy of Home Alone, my Girl and Home Alone 2. When he was, frankly, the biggest movie star in America. Yeah. And for that Elijah very small Wood. Window. And Elijah Wood. Incredible. And it was, you know, a very similar plot. After the de death of his mother, a young boy named Mark is sent to stay with his aunt and uncle. While there, he meets his cousin Henry, who shows signs of violent and evil behavior. And then bad stuff starts yeah. happening. I seem to recall a very vivid moment where someone is hanging from a tree. Yeah. Do you remember that sequence? I haven't seen this movie yes, in quite some time. Yes, of course, okay. right. It's Elijah Wood. And yes. like, and they were like playing and the Macaulay Culkin like sees an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Um, that movie, while it was played quite, quite, quite seriously, also had an element of camp, mm -hmm. an element of absurdity and ridiculousness. And the casting of Macaulay Culkin was a massive wink of the eye. This movie felt very similar to me. Now, obviously, there, there's a modern context. It's produced by Blumhouse, which, you know, is well known for its horror productions. Even when I was 11, I was like, The Good Son is like kind of a funny bit. Yeah. And Megan was like... It was a meme before there were memes. It was. Yeah. And I see this m movie in League. Right. Because even Macaulay Culkin is like sometimes almost looking towards the camera the way he did in <laughs> Home Alone right before he like dropped like paint cans on Joe Pesci, you know? But instead, he's just like, I'm a psycho. <laughs> Cut to camera, you know? <laughs> I agree with you. There's one other Home Alone connection in my mind for this movie, Megan, which is that whenever I see the title Megan, yeah. here's what I hear in my mind's eye. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara saying, Kevin! <laughs> but in the, but Megan. Yeah. Megan! Um, I do that. Do you do that a lot in your head every time I'm driving Catherine O'Hara's voice Ka no do Kevin yeah yeah sure no, every day when I, I wake up no, every but, morning no but I actually do because when I'm driving in my car and the car well, just by myself and the car seat's empty like I will look in the mirror to check on Knox and then there's nothing in there and then I'm like Kevin <laughs> And then I'm like, no, he's okay. But I swear to God, once a day, and that's always the reference. That's Catherine O'Hara's power, is that she, for generations to come, communicated yeah. bad parenting. <laughs> yeah. you like it's it? true. Uh, did you like Megan? Of course. Yeah, I had a fun, fun time. I'm seriously reconsidering the role of AI in my parenting. <laughs> um, How were you using it previously? I was just kidding. Okay. And it is really funny that for 20 minutes, this is a movie about like parenting ethics. And I was like, wow, you're really finding me at my point. I also shared the theater. I went at uh, 2 p.m. on a Friday. Yep. Normal. And well, I, you know, you got to make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, I, can I have it all? I can. <laughs> 
when it comes to seeing Megan with a bunch of 12-year-olds who were still on Christmas vacation, which was the demo. It was me and a bunch of, and I know they were 12 because they were there with their parents. Okay. So the TikTok stuff, which was a huge part of this marketing campaign, we can talk more about that, clearly worked. Because I got there early, had my peed on M&Ms, was having a grand old time. And then, like, a bunch of small children start walking in. Okay. And I was like, are you in the right theater? And PG-13 then PG-13 is moving. No, I know. But they did all come. They had to come with their parents. And they were not at all scared of Megan. Okay. And the biggest reaction was when a character named Brandon, which I'd like to come back to. I don't think that was by accident. Okay. Um, told, like, an adult to fuck off. And all the kids were like, oh! <gasps> <laughs> But that was the biggest scare moment in the whole theater for More everyone. so than, spoiler alert, Brandon being thrown in front of a truck. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was funny. Notable. Uh-huh. Uh, that's really, that's a great viewing experience. It was Mine awesome. was very different. I saw the film at an Alamo draft house mm-hmm. on a Saturday night. Yeah. And I'd meant to join you and then I couldn't join you for various reasons. I would have liked to have seen this movie with you, alas. Uh, all adults. Okay. Having the time of their yeah, lives. Yeah, of course. Drunk off their asses. and. I actually, here's what happened. Service was down in the Alamo Draft House. So when I walked in, they were like, unfortunately, we do not have any food and beverage service whatsoever. So we assume you want your refund. And I was like, I don't want to, re- I want to see the movie. Yeah. And they were like, well, the movie is still playing. I was like, oh, great. Okay, I'll go. And I assumed I would be in what, what I knew was a sold out screening, but would be empty because people didn't, right. weren't going to be able to get their food. In fact, the theater was full. Great. So what does that tell me? Two things. One, you know, the, business proposition of Alamo Draft House getting food and drink maybe a little overstated mm-hmm. too people were like I'm seeing Megan tonight yeah. come hell or high water I mean, you can't turn me away from Megan driven all the way downtown and parked in that fucking parking lot with like the 14 we I'll do like a parking lot ranking of LA movie theaters on our Patreon it seems like okay? a really good pod <laughs> Definitely one of our better pods of 2029 <laughs> you wanted to keep things new and interesting <laughs> that's grim as hell uh Nevertheless, everybody showed up for that screening. Yeah. They all sat there. It was a bunch. Of, it was a bunch of forty-year-old men and women, okay. and we were just just rolling in the aisles, That's just good. having a nice time. Let me just say, Megan, I would not say is a good movie. I would say no. it is the definition of like a two and a half star movie. Um, it it does what it sets out to do. It's made well enough to get me over the finish line. the The jokes feel somewhat added in post, somewhat sort yeah. of like. I could feel the tone shifting a little bit throughout the film where when they realized they had a viral phenomenon, yeah. there was some kind of reconstitution of what the the tone of the movie was meant to be. Or at least just like a sharpening. It felt more right. like a studio comedy where they did some testing and then all of a sudden the movie comes along and they're like, oh, we, ha- we added six jokes because we needed to. We yeah, had an yeah, open yeah. spot here. That wasn't, that's not a bad thing. I, I've enjoyed plenty of studio comedies like that in the past. I have a real pure sense of horror. So for as a horror fan, I was like, this is not really even a horror movie. Like, it's never scary ever. No. Um, but it was effectively entertaining. And that's ultimately what people are looking for with something like this anyway. It's a January movie. They want to have a nice time out. They want to be able to understand the memes, right? That's a whole other aspect of movie going in 2023. So in that respect, I thought it was a success. I think Megan, the creation, is really powerful. And I would like to talk more about the 10-year-old who plays Megan, the person. Fire away. Okay. Amy Donald is her name. <laughs> what? You're I'm, so excited. I'm dead serious. We're not, this is, there's a 10-year-old girl who can crawl sideways at speed. Okay? <laughs> okay. Let's celebrate that. And I do think, I mean, the concept of what? <laughs> Just, you're very excited. 
I don't know. Let's respect the craft. Let's respect the practical effects. Let's respect the performance. You're right. The 10-year-old who has a brown belt in karate and is a dance <laughs> champion in New Zealand and literally plays Megan. And it just like, is Megan nearly as funny if it is like an actual robot or like a fake puppet doll or does it like there is something about the way that Megan moves and is like inhuman, but also very human and very and like a human pretending to be a robot that is hilarious and really funny. And shout out the 10 year old Amy Donald. Uh, I thought her performance was very strong. Yeah. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't do the voice. She doesn't do the voice. A different and the voice is the voice. also good. But I, the good. physicality of how they of how they did it, I, I thought was very clever. At the risk of going too far identifying the body actress of Megan, but not the people who made the movie. We should say Gerard Johnstone <laughs> directed the movie. He made a really good movie in 2014. I think he's a New Zealand filmmaker. This film was made in New Zealand in 2014 called Housebound. Um, the movie was written by Akila Cooper, who is this kind of rising figure in the world of horror. She wrote 2021's Malignant, which is one of the more bonkers horror movies of recent times. This movie isn't just made by Blumhouse. It's one of the big collaborations between Atomic Monster and Blumhouse, James Wan's production company, which is now uniting to mm -hmm. make this kind of mega powerhouse production team. And this is a pretty good start for them mm -hmm. in their new venture. And Akila Cooper is kind of like a part of that story because she wrote Malignant, she wrote this movie, and she wrote the forthcoming The Nun too. Gotta say, after seeing The Nun, I didn't feel like I needed more of The Nun. Okay. Uh, I like the broader universe of The Conjuring, but one Nun movie was good by me. But if Keila Cooper's writing it, I'm at least paying attention. To me, the secret sauce of this movie is that Allison Williams was like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so in, you can't even believe how like ready to work I am for Megan. All right. So, number one, Allison Williams with her perfect blowout. Yeah is playing the world's greatest, uh, like, AI toy developer. Mm -hmm. It's not just that she's, like, a toy developer who keeps collectibles on a shelf that Katie, her niece, is not allowed to play with. She's, like, the Steve Jobs of toy developers, mm -hmm. and they got to keep her mind on lock, you know? Which is, um, with all respect to Allison Williams, who seems like a very intelligent woman, like, the least believable thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> With her just being like, yeah, I built this robot named Bruce in college. Like, here's how, like, <laughs> physics works. Respectfully, that is not what Allison Williams was doing in college. And the great thing about it is that, you know, that's the character's biography, which makes no sense. But the character otherwise is written with a lot of awareness of Marnie, who is the character that Allison Williams played on Girls. Like, kind of uptight, lives in, like, a picture-perfect, like, mid-century modern, you know... Pacific Northwest home. Like, everything is, like, just so. And she's very much like, this is my time and I need to do this, which, like, Allison Williams does beautifully. And as you said, buys in. And then she's just like, yeah, here's how this plastic toy from the 60s works. You're like, no, ma'am, no. But <laughs> but thank you, but no. I just have to get some things off my chest. One, Allison Williams is and has been my dream girl for the longest time. <laughs> Mar Marnie followed by Jordan Peele the absolute stroke of genius this, of casting oh my her God. and get out. It's so good. And also And she commits. The fact that she is she gets it. She gets the joke. Yeah. She gets the joke about her character. She does the simultaneous actor thing where she's like, I really need to tap into their chi, but also knows that there's something really funny about how right. she's being cast and stuff. I've always appreciated. She's also just like she's like if Anne Hathaway got hit by lightning. You know, she's like <laughs> like just these like really nervy 
mm-hmm. string bean brunettes who mm-hmm. are like have a certain kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And so putting her in the role that you're describing of like a, a neurotic scientist. I mean, that's right. really the part, which is an archetype, you know, going back hundreds of years. Is this Dr. Frankenstein? That's who she is. It's a genius stroke. It's just such a smart idea. So fun. I think she's so funny on screen that it made the movie's tone work. Yeah. Because if you don't have an anchor real person to follow, even though the movie is kind of a 90-minute joke, it's not going to play. Like, there are a lot of 90-minute, like, joke horror movies like this that are awful, that feel like they take six hours to complete. I was never bored. I was never checked out. I was never, like, I didn't go to the bathroom. I was like, this is fun. I'm having a nice time. And also, Allison Williams, like, against Megan, who is styled, like, somewhat as a, like, joke on Allison Williams, or at least the <laughs> character, you know? Like, and, and she's wearing a hilarious peacoat and a scarf. Um, I'm sure there's, like, some TikTok trends element that I'm not aware of, but it was a great look. But the two of them facing off against each other, mm-hmm. and the way that they have Megan speak, which is like built into the plot of the movie that she's mirroring what she's learning from both Katie and Allison Williams. But, um, so she just becomes like evil Allison. It's really, it's very clever. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, you alluded to the TikTok campaign. Yeah. The two trailers for this movie were very powerful Mm -hmm. in our, in our modern movie economy. The first one featured a Taylor Swift song. Um, the second one featured uh, a song by Bella Porch, which was a huge TikTok sensation. So there was a lot of consciousness about the way this movie is being marketed. There's a great episode of The Town with Matt, mm-hmm. Matt Bellany um, having a conversation with Michael Moses about how they marketed this movie that is frankly very insightful and a little bit, as Matt indicated, depressing when you think about the way that these companies feel that they have to work to get people to pay attention to movies. Right. But Universal, to its credit, is very good at this. Right. They've done this did many it with times. Minions. They just did it with Minions over last summer. They're very gifted at the sort of digital economy of movie attention. And in this case, it worked. The movie made $30 million over the weekend, which is frankly extraordinary for a movie like this, which costs very little. I think it was a $12 million budget. Yeah. Um, and Blumhouse just continues to do it over and over again. It's it's kind of amazing how they've been able to do it. Now, there's two aspects to this. There's one that's sort of like, what does this mean for the future of horror and the Blumhouse Atomic Monster thing? I'm not as interested in that as I am the tone of this movie and what it says about like wh- where horror is and what audiences want from horror mm-hmm. because it's consistent with a bunch of movies that I frankly, I, you would feel comfortable watching. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's very purposeful. And there's like a whole stretch now. I think the Happy Death Day franchise is a part of this. I think even in some respects, Malignant is a part of this. These sort of like uber tongue-in-cheek, quasi-camp, somewhat horror comedy movies where they're like, you've seen all the horror movies and you like to be scared, but is it even better to have a cool concept with good jokes? And they're not actually trying to be comedies, but they want you laughing, which is, of course, something that I've said to you before. It's something that appeals to me about horror in general. Is right. When it's most scary is when I find it most funny. I don't know how long this can continue, but in the same way that we identified, like, found footage as an era in horror or torture porn as an era of horror. <laughs> so cool. I mean, that's yeah. sick that that happened. <laughs> but, like, home invasion or there's right. something wrong with the house or, you know, there's, like, a series of trends that come along. This Blumhouse atomic monster trend of 
what a joke this is, and it's basically a meme, but also there are deaths. Yeah. Is is an interesting turn of events, I would say. Like, it, will you go along on this journey? I mean, it all depends on, like, the execution, right? Which is true of any of those, you know, micro genres. But if if it's a joke that works and it's funny or, like, Megan the doll, which I find hilarious, and I'm really open for you know Meg Four in or whatever. <laughs> How will um, they spell it? I don't. I don't know, but um, they they definitely set that up with the what do they call the Siri or the Alexa in the movie? Oh, her name's like Leah or something. Yeah, I don't know, but that yeah. was a great. The closing shot is very, yeah, very yeah, clever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if it's I don't know, like a talking you know, video game controller or something who... Like HAL 9000. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, probably not for me. Okay. So, as you said, like, sometimes there are movies like this that are a 90-minute joke that work, and sometimes there are movies that suck. So, that, uh, so I'll go along with it. It also feels like very internet-inflected, right? You know, it's like the meme into a movie, but the then the movie, if the movie works, if the meme works as a movie, great. And if not, it... I won't see it. Yeah, if it's just a meme, it's not yeah. it's not effective and that's what's different about this in some respects is that it feels a little bit different. I mean, there's a whole this isn't a new thing. Like there's a whole lineage of this. I alluded to Child's Play earlier. Yeah. Child's Play is very similar. There's something very tongue in cheek about Child's Play even though it can be quite scary at times. But like, you know, The Good Son is obviously an offshoot of The Bad Seed and Village of the Damned and Kill Bill. Oh, Child's Play is Chucky. Child's Play is Chucky. Yeah, you just yes. said it's that Chucky. Yeah. I'm sorry, Chucky. Well, the film is called Child's right. Play. Right. Yeah. But like, I know who Chucky is. Okay. But you haven't seen any of those films? I don't know if I've seen the films, but I've seen lots of clips. Okay. Like, I, you know, I have an awareness of like who Chucky is, what he's up to, how he moves. Okay. You know. Coming he's... later this week, the, the Child's Play rewatchables, <laughs> me and Amanda on Patreon. <laughs> um, when I saw the film at Alamo Draft House, the pre roll was a series of like the history of killer doll movies. Okay. And so we saw like Magic, the Richard Attenborough movie starring Anthony Hopkins in which he plays a uh, ventriloquist whose dummy is a murderer. Mm-hmm. Interesting movie if you haven't seen it. Written by William Goldman. Okay. Based on a book that he wrote. Uh, we saw Wes Craven's Deadly Friend in which Christy Swanson is dies in a car accident and is revived as like a murderous robot. Okay. Um, Stuart Gordon's Dolls, which I would highly encourage you to watch because it's about uh, dolls that kill, mm-hmm. like little little childlike dolls. And that that leads to my next question for you, which yeah. is, what's your relationship to dolls? Now or in the past? Not now. That would be weird. Okay. Um, if you were like, oh, I love them and I pet them every well, day, I'd I be mean, like, you're a what, serial killer. Yeah, what, I say, what if? <laughs> like as a young girl growing up. So I had a I had a couple American Girl dolls. You okay. are you aware of this? Do you know about no, this? No, that phenomenon? sounds very ethnocentric. It it was actually no, it was crazy. So they started with um, three white dolls. One and they, there was like a historical element. So there was one from plantation owner. So I think there no, there actually like was a plantation what? owner. Well, I don't know whether Felicity was a plantation owner. I can't remember. <laughs> Not she a was plantation. There's no way. Well, she was the American Revolution one because they were all tied to historical elements. I like. I'm saying <laughs> no, it wasn't like good. a Betsy Ross situation, right? Or like I think I don't remember. I remember she had a horse, but and she but she, she lived in horse. Williamsburg. But they glossed over a lot of the stuff. I know wow. that's what I'm saying. It's not good, and. Anyway, the, the original three was Molly, 
who was like a World War II doll somehow. Samantha, who was like, I don't even, I don't, it was like the 1900s. I don't really know what was up with Samantha, even though I like had her because her hair was the same as mine. And then there was Kirsten, who was like a Swedish immigrant. It's very strange. But then at some point, it was made aware to the American Girl Doll Corporation of uh, like how limited uh, and blinkered this range of dolls were. So they um, broadened their Mm -hmm. horizons. I'm, I think it probably took them a while to get to any place of historical sensitivity. But now it's like a franchise and and you can not only buy like one of the historical dolls, but you can make your own doll that looks like you. And then there's like an American Girl doll um, so like creepy. store. I think they're everywhere. And you can go like to have tea at the American Girl doll store. Like Julia Roberts has produced and possibly starred in movies around, like, as a part of the American Girl doll franchise. Like, I'm not making Is that what Mona Lisa Smile is about? No, that was before. (laughs) You cut me off on that podcast before I could talk about Mona Lisa Smile was about Jackson Pollock. You you don't have to like it, but you have to consider it. And it was also about birth control. Um, Sure. So... So will you let Alice have an American Girl been, doll? Well, I'm more like, can, can we get her a Megan? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's what I want to know. You would at the end of this. I would not get a Megan. I've got some people I would like to bump off. So, okay. I mean, you know. Sure. Pesky neighbors. Sure. You know, that's something I've been thinking about. Anyway, I wasn't super into dolls. Like, I I was not a Barbie person. So save it for the Barbie pod. No, I know, but that'll be interesting. So I won't be coming to it from like that sort of I had these Barbies and played with them and they were important to me. But Barbie kind of looms larger just as sort of like a cultural understanding mm-hmm. as a as a as a woman. So yeah, I dolls eh. are you aware of the doll at the play space that both our children love very much? Not at all. Okay, so there's our children sometimes go to a play space when it's raining, as it has been in California. Thoughts and prayers with Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> sheltering in place. He's okay. He posted on Instagram. Oh, good. So I think he posted on Instagram before, and it was it was less, it was more like the roads were closed, so he couldn't, like, ford the river to get to the Golden Globes. Do you think he was watching the Golden Globes? <laughs> I do not get the sense that if he was, that he would have a great sense of humor about what happened. Anyway. I don't want to cast aspersions. He also okay. has an enormous sum of money. Sure. So he probably doesn't I care. I think that I read that his ranch was, like, $20 million more than I estimated it was on okay. the podcast. Exciting. So, I don't know. It seems nice in Santa Barbara. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Costner. I'm just going to put that on the airwaves. I, so am I. Okay. Um, but that's still one of the funniest things. Anyway, it's been raining a lot here in Los Angeles and uh, surrounding areas. And so, our children sometimes go to this indoor play space and there's like this doll that lives at the play space that, that my son, at least, is apparently very taken with, but okay. he can never like have the doll because older children always, you know, get there first and have the doll or have the doll in the stroller. What's so hot about this doll? I don't know, but uh, we were sent some photographs of our children playing very sweetly in the play space and Alice had the doll and Alice was clinging older the doll. children. And I was like, oh my God, that's Knox's doll. That's Knox's doll. So they both love it, apparently. Yeah. So dolls are powerful. I'm I'm bracing myself for a life full of dolls. Dolls okay. are already meaningful to my daughter's life. And uh, if she wanted a Megan, I would get her one. Okay. Um, do I have $10,000 for Megan? I do not. Uh, but if they maybe if they lower that MSRP. Right. Somewhat. If Allison Williams could just make that project deadline, you know? <laughs> 
for the lower price Furby, okay? You can't be doing side projects. That seemed odd to like a stray shot 25 years late at the Furby. Furby? Yeah. I you don't know? know. In the film, if anybody is listening to this that hasn't seen the film, God bless you for sticking with us this long. Uh, there is the film kind of opens on a, a Furby esque toy for kids that like talks and shits and yeah. responds to prompts. Right. It was like a three minute infomercial, is how the. I thought that was clever. I did too. I think that this is a very well done version of what it is. So, like, Two so more than two and a half stars? Well, six stars? Again, this is this goes back to how we rate things. Okay. I think, like, in the grand scale of human cinema, you know, it's probably... The grand scale of human... <laughs> is that in the total cinema baby? The total cinema baby universe? universe. Okay, yeah. great. I think two and a half or maybe even is, two is, stars. Is this is total right. cinema baby? I, I, well, maybe... Because this is the thing in this scale of movies that I've gone to see at the movie theaters or in the scale of this being what it is, I would at least give it three and a half. Three and a half out of four? Oh, I thought we were doing five. Out of five. Okay, yeah. No, I believe in five. I'm, I'm pro is five. It, isn't five what your you and your letterbox friends do? Don't. First of all, did you see CRs back on letterbox? Yes, I did. He hath returned. Okay. You know why? Why? He wants what I have. What is it that you have? Pride. Okay. Congratulations. Emotional clarity. I I strength this of is, self. This is not what I'm gonna be doing in 2023. What do you mean? Uh letterbox. But you'll be talking about it on a podcast. Even worse. Yeah. Even that more is, pathetic. That is true. Anyway, I was trying to speak in your language. I was trying uh-huh. to meet you where you are. Thank you. Out of five stars. You came in with a great energy today. <laughs> did I maintain it? Or do you think you did. okay? Yes. Thanks. Anxious but daffy, which is really all we need on this show. <laughs> um and, and and intelligent and okay. wise. I wish I had done more historical research on American Girl dolls. Now that I'm, that was all just like from I think you did well from the top of my head. But I'm sure there's a lot of context about mm-hmm. how they handled just the the cultural and racial implications that I was not able to add. Someone should write a book on it. I'm sure someone has. Anyway, maybe you'll learn all about that when Alice asks for the full set of American Girl dolls. I find it hard to believe that's going to be happening because I will be actually just showing her movies like Megan. I won't be giving okay. her any dolls. I'll be like, this is what dolls do. This is why we don't have any dolls. Is there anything else we need to say about Megan? I mean, like, are you excited for 2025 when Megan 2 comes along? Sure. But I'll be sad because they probably won't have Amy Donald back, right? They wouldn't, would they do it again where it's just like Terminator 2? So, like, we improved Megan, but it still looks sort of the same, but well, sort of different. I'm glad you brought that up because the Terminator and the ter- and Terminator 2 are a good comp for this mm-hmm. movie in many ways, in part because in the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the big bad. Yeah. He was the, you know, sent from the future, the force meant to kill Sarah Connor so that John Connor could not be born. In Terminator 2, the T-800 comes right. to protect John okay. Connor and he becomes his friend. So, would a good Megan sequel... So be there Megan, to protect Gemma or something like that. I mean, maybe Gemma? Katie, but she was already protecting Katie. So Gemma is Alice, Alice Williams' Williams. character, yeah. Well, what Remember if... Remember when she, I said she was uh, Anne Hathaway struck by lightning? That was good. I, that's a good comparison. Maybe she protects Katie and Gemma from the rise of the... The Siri, the Alexa. Yes. In, in yes, much in the same way that spoiler alert, Bruce plays an important role. He does. Okay, that's great. I'm. I, I'll watch that. It It'll sounds be really like you fun. and I need to get cracking on okay. the script. <laughs> alert the blacklist. 
Someone tell Franklin Leonard that we've got a hot one coming. Right. Yeah. And we'll have two more years of parental experience to infuse the the script with our thoughts on um, robotics and um, attachment parenting. Will, <laughs> will Megan compete for the 2024 Best Picture? No, she won't. But that's okay. Maybe, you know what would be good at the fucking Oscars? What? Is if Megan showed up on stage. Wor- start working on Amy Donald's visa now. Okay. <laughs> You've, you've done great work today. Thank you. I'm, I'm so proud to work with you. <laughs> I'm very proud to work with our producer, Bobby Wagner, on this show as well. Thanks to Bobby for all of his work. Next week, we're going to be talking about, well, we've got a double dose of Chris Ryan, actually. Oh, which yeah. Which is exciting. I saw that on the spreadsheet. Um, Chris is going to join us for two episodes. The first will be about the Netflix film All Quiet on the Western Front, which we did not talk about today, but that's because all of these awards were American awards. And there is an expectation that maybe... Some of this uncertainty in the Best Picture race will lead to a possible opening for All Quiet on the Western Front, which is available on Netflix for you to watch right now. So I would encourage people to watch it. It's an interesting movie at, at, at worst. And we'll talk about it. And we'll talk about war movies and war movies in general and kind of like the history of war movies. That should be a fun conversation. And then at the end of next week, movie movie auction is back. 2023 movie auction. Our first in-person movie auction. Is that true? Yeah. It's going to be absolutely deranged. Get excited. See you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.